Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. The Democrat primaries of the other day, on what is referred to as St. Patrick's Day, those that were held, Ohio postponed their Democrat primaries at the behest of Governor Mike DeWine, but who declared a health emergency in order to manage (laughs) to have that postponed because a court, a judge, was going to intervene and overturn his order to postpone the primary. But Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders squared off in virtual campaign space in the great states of Florida, Illinois, and Arizona. The candidates were not to be seen. No hugging, no kissing of babies, no grand campaigning, no no entrance polling, exit polling. But Joe Biden fared fairly well. Now, I haven't seen the very latest figures. I haven't been online for a while. But earlier, the figures that I saw had the following breakdown. In the great state, the sunshine state, the citrus fruit state of Florida, Joe Biden was crushing Bernie Sanders 62% to 23%. Huge, huge victory over Bernie in Florida. Now, that was with something less than the total vote count, I do believe. But that was updated earlier today, around noon or such. But, meanwhile, in the great states of Illinois and Arizona, Illinois, Joe Biden had a very strong victory, but simply not of the enormity of magnitude as in Florida. Instead of 62%, it showed Joe Biden having 59%. Instead of Bernie Sanders at 23%, it showed Bernie Sanders at 36%. So just slightly less for Joe Biden, the percentage of votes cast for his delegates, if you will, for him and thus for his delegates, in Illinois as compared to Florida. But Bernie Sanders fared much better than he did in Illinois, like to the tune of 50% better when you look at 36% versus 23%. So he fared much better, Bernie did, but he still got crushed. (laughs) Just not as overwhelmingly crushed, but crushed. Meanwhile, in Arizona, Arizona was the only one that was somewhat of a contest. And in that one, Joe Biden, the last vote tallies I had, showed him 
receiving 43% of the vote and Bernie Sanders, 32%. So Joe Biden had a significant, clear victory in Arizona, which only had 67 delegates available to be won. But Florida, Florida, where there were 219 delegates available, Joe Biden, 62% to 23% for Sanders. And in Illinois, where there were 155 delegates, Joe Biden, 59% to Bernie's 36%. So what does that mean, really? You know, there are still big plums out there. There still are big, powerful, politically speaking, states yet to be heard from. Remember what Joe said following New Hampshire, following Iowa and New Hampshire, but immediately after New Hampshire's primary that was (laughs) both Iowa and New Hampshire so unhelpful for Joe Biden. I'll put it that way, to be very diplomatic. And he said, we still have to hear from You know, the most committed constituency in the Democrat Party, the African-American voters. Well, you could say we still have to hear from the great state of New York. We still have to hear from the great states of Pennsylvania and Ohio and so forth. Right. But. Joe is positively in the driver's seat, and Bernie is in the rumble seat. You know, the vehicles from way back when, they would have this funny little convertible rumble seat in the back. Poor Bernie. Well, Bernie Sanders' campaign, they were all (laughs) a dither, having to state that Bernie is not dropping out. Of the race. He is not canceling his campaign. He's not suspending his campaign. He's soldiering on. Because these losses were very, <laughs> very pronounced, to put it gently. But Bernie is continuing on. Well, now we really enter a, a dormancy period here. Even while the federal government under the auspicious leadership of Donald Trump Sr. is cracking down on on social life and so much. Following the lead of the UK, following the same source information, if you will, it's not really information, it is scientific reports. Right, modeling of viruses. But anyway, while that is going on, we now move into what you might call a dormant period or doldrums or whatever, while we wait for the next really big primaries that are some ways in the future, weeks, weeks more in the future. So maybe, you know, Bernie. Not to cast aspersions at Bernie. I do not mean to say that 
These are his motivations. But maybe, maybe he's thinking, you know, you don't know. <laughs> According to the Bible, you, don't, you do not know what a day holds. Well, Bernie is not a believer in that sort of thing, of course. Socialist, Marxist, Saul Alinsky-ish, Bernie Sanders, Jewish of the variety, the verity, if you will, that uh, are not of the salvation is of the Jews variety. No, no, more of the synagogue of Satan variety. But Bernie, he still realizes, hey, there's a lot of time to work with here. And while he has failed badly since, you could say since New Hampshire, but you'd say, no, wait a minute, what about California? And what about Utah and Vermont, New Hampshire? You know, his successes, right? Yes. But the overwhelming, and Nevada, let's not leave out Nevada, but the overwhelming majority of Bernie's support that he received in those states was already in place before South Carolina. He had done a great deal of campaigning. He had a strong organization, and they had been in California campaigning for, oh, five and a half, six years. (laughs) So, coming off of South Carolina and on to richer pastures, it was already in place. Bernie has been going downhill steadily, while Joe has been ascending rapidly. This is not a reflection of the men of their personal energy or what have you. But it's just the reality of how these campaigns have gone. And with this enormity of the support from the Democrat Party faithful, so-called, coalescing around Joe Biden, right? Circling the wagons around Joe Biden. Of course, the incumbent president has made a great to-do about this, that this is conspiracy, nothing short of. No, it's just politics as usual. I mean, come on, this is the way things work. This isn't something unusual. It isn't something untoward. It's not something froward, illegal, unethical. It's just the way political campaigning goes. And while there are ebbs and flows, (laughs) Bernie's campaign has been ebbing while Joe's has been flowing powerfully forward. So that's not to say that sticking with it for another month, another month and a half, another two months might not be worthwhile because after all, who knows what's going to happen, right? Things happen. And they don't have to be violent things, but things happen. Years and years and years ago, decades ago, when I was a boy, 
Bobby Kennedy enjoyed this success, the sweet taste of success in California. And he was assassinated on the on the cusp of that victory. And you may think that it was, again, one of these, you know, lone wolf crazed assassins as compared to what it was. (laughs) Uh, Instead of the fall guy and actually a concerted conspiracy. One movie I saw once upon a time that painted it fairly well. I believe the title of it was The Parallax View. It was not referring to the Bobby Kennedy assassination or the John Kennedy assassination, but it was showing this kind of a dynamic as far as the staged assassination, the actual assassination, the staged assassination, the fall guy, and so forth. But things happen. This coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic, which in China, in communist China, has not been seen to be evidencing the kind of virulence that these modelers are predicting. On the contrary, they're saying that what began, the beginning, the inception of this then epidemic, was a more virulent strain. But what was exported abroad was a less virulent, less deadly strain. And all told, taking fatalities from whatever strain there in China, it was a much lesser percentage, ironically, than has been seen in places like Iran and Italy, which is strange and contradictory. It's the kind of thing that really throws a wrench into all of this great technological modeling, computerized modeling, which is notoriously errant when it comes to matters such as economic modeling, you know, financial modeling, monetary policy modeling. Not to mention military modeling, war modeling. Oh, but it's all the rage. But Joe Biden, while Bernie Sanders is trying to, you know, trying to suppress these reports that he was stopping his campaign, that he was done, that it was over. It's over, famously, said Chris Matthews. But with regard to Bernie Sanders supposedly winning, Bernie Sanders has been 
desperately engaged in damage control. He is not stopping his campaign. He is soldiering on. Meanwhile, Joe Biden. Joe Biden has made statements like the following, quote, speaking to the voters here, quote, I hear you. I know what's at stake. I know what we have to do. Our goal as a campaign and my goal as a candidate is to unify this party and unify this nation, end quote. Hear, hear. Well, Joe, I don't think you have to worry too much about that. I think that this this coronavirus COVID outbreak in the United States of America is kind of coalescing, unifying much of the nation for you. But, again, things happen. As far as going forward two months, what may be the situation in this nation and with the various campaigns. I think it's fair to say Tulsi Gabbard probably will drop out. Just a wild guess there. But if we go back two months, from March 18th back, you know, February 18th, January 18th, This outbreak in China had been going on for weeks. And the communist Chinese regime had gone into full-fledged lockdown mode. But how things were in the United States of America, in the UK, in the European Union, in the rest of the world, were not affected. World Health Organization until last week did not recognize a pandemic, even though pandemic, the recognition of pandemic, is not stating that there is some horrifying plague that is responsible for killing vast, vast, vast multitudes of people like some weapon of mass destruction. No. What it was referring to, what pandemic means, is that it is so widespread. And they had used that term before, even with spread of virus in or infection in Africa, in part of Africa, in part of Africa, that constituted pandemic. And yet it going around the world, that did not constitute pandemic. It was just incredible hypocrisy double standard, and intellectual dishonesty. And the president, of course, up until last week, was putting a happy face on it, you know, just (laughs) denying it, minimizing it, and so forth. Now it has gone a complete 180. Every day, new messaging that has completely utterly, totally contradicted everything that's been said and done prior. It's just extraordinary. But we had messages from the White House 
a couple days ago stating, man, it was incredible. It was, it was after the president had declared a state of national emergency, after that. And the stock market was collapsing. And the president added fuel to the fire. And he stated that we may be sliding into recession. And that this, I believe he used the term pandemic, this pandemic, it may continue on into August, through August. So five months, six months at the outside. A day later, what a difference a day makes, right? So now the president, and what happened? The market was going down and it collapsed. He pulled the rug out from under it, even though his entire focus for week after week after week was to ensure that the stock market would not be detrimentally affected by news of COVID-19 and coronavirus. And then he does this incredible about-face, not merely verifying that (laughs) there is pandemic, you know, two days after who whose outstanding leader made his statement. But going beyond that, again, taking control of the situation, getting out there in front of the story, taking all of the oxygen out of the room. So all information is coming through the White House. And needing to make bold, exciting, if you will, statements in order to accomplish that. Just just extraordinary contradiction. But so now he has gone on to say, not five months, no, not six months, but 12 months or even 18 months, which is what I was talking about yesterday. This report, this scientific paper out of the UK that all of this is based on. United States of America right now is joined at the hip with the UK. The Trump administration, the Trump presidency, the Trump administration is following Boris Johnson's UK government. And they are both following slavishly following this one scientific paper that was drawn up, these forecasts that were drawn up by Neil Ferguson and his team, his colleagues, who are at the Imperial College in London. And it's the COVID-19 response team. And so... President Trump, with his coordinator of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. No, not Vice President Mike Pence, but Deborah Birx. 
they are slavishly following this scientific paper, which is based on modeling. Scientific. Oh, it's so scientific. It couldn't be wrong. But interesting, isn't it? Let's stop and think about this great science of modeling for a moment. Not only the absolutely spectacular failures of modeling, computer modeling, in the field of economics, economic policy, economic forecasts, financial, fiscal policy, monetary policy, but war, war games. But also, drumroll please, global climate change, global warming. And so spectacularly, drumroll again please, population growth, overpopulation. How many decades have we heard the incessant drumbeat of there's overpopulation on this earth and the population is going to just kill the planet, the overpopulation. And on it goes with all of these scenarios rooted in computer modeling, spectacularly false, proven to be false, not by additional modeling, but by the results, what takes place. But for some reason, this president now, he is totally on board with this, with this scientific paper, these reports from Neil Ferguson and his team at the Imperial College, the COVID-19 response team. Just outstanding. Deborah Burks totally sold on this. Well, what's wrong with that, really? Well, let's talk about this for a minute. Again, the president, he has now stated, this actually, this has been floated here in his administration as of Friday coming forward. It just wasn't released. It wasn't announced, but. Not that this would continue on into August, up to August, but rather for one year to one and a half years. Well, word got out today and the stock market crashed again after it had recovered the other day, but yesterday. And I mean recovered partially and not entirely, but partially. But now it has crashed again, and it is down to the lowest level it has been at since the president took office. But it was at a somewhat lower level than that, even more depressed before he was elected, immediately before he was elected. Once he was elected, all kinds of speculation of how great things were going to be, and the market went up. But it is at the lowest point. New York Stock Exchange, Dow Jones, so forth, at the lowest that they have been since 
President Trump took office. All of those great gains that he was glorying in, that he was responsible for, they've all been wiped out. But, and he gets to take credit for some of that collapse because, again, (laughs) now two times he has stepped in and spoken up. The one time it was that the United States may be sliding into recession and that this state of affairs here in the United States of America combating coronavirus, that this may continue on into August. And now this comes out. (laughs) That is going to be, instead, one to one and a half year slog. Yes, thank you, Mr. President. That's your doing, Mr. President. More to say on that, but before I do, let me say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever's right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, that is due to me. That is on me. That is my fault. I take responsibility for what's wrong with it. All right? So, but what does this mean about another year to year and a half? Where does that come from? Well, it comes from the scientific paper, from their modeling. They stated that Britain, and this applies exactly to the USA as well. So Britain, and substitute USA there, or America, would have to do the following. Quote, enforce social distancing for the entire population. Isolate all cases. Demand household quarantines of households where anyone is sick. And close all schools and universities and do this for at least 12 months. 12 to 18 months until a vaccine is available. Now, these steps were just, they weren't exactly fleshed out there, were they? Isolate all cases, all cases of coronavirus, COVID-19. Demand household quarantines of households where anyone is sick. Sick with what? Sick with the common cold? Sick with typical flu? Or does it need to be with coronavirus, COVID-19? Close all schools and universities for one year to one and one half years. Enforce social distancing for the entire population. How do you enforce that? There's only one way. Martial law. Martial law. That's it. This is not merely the draconian steps of driving restaurateurs out of business. Driving owners of pubs and bars out of business 
costing them their livelihoods and their life savings and everything else. This is a matter of destroying major segments of the economy. But you see, these academicians, they're so good at that. You know, they're detached. You know, in their ivory palaces, (laughs) they can make these kinds of great rulings. Again, for those who think, who imagine, that when the president said, This would continue on into August. And these measures need to be, you know, enacted now. We're talking about, you know, just shutting down schools for 15 days, right? Maybe a month. That's all. Then we lift those restrictions. Or do we? According to what they are basing their policy on, The dirty little secret is there is no 15-day period, 30-day period, like what they're doing in Italy and Spain and France and whatever. No. No. One year to one and a half years. You know, the reports, they came out, well, we were going to restrict groups to 1,000 or fewer. Then 500 or fewer. Then 250 or fewer. Then 100 or fewer. And on it went all the way down to 10 or fewer. Who says that these people, the Trump administration, the Boris Johnson administration, or any of these, Congress, anybody else, that they should be invested with the power to make these decisions. Now, when I was calling for, time and time and time again, for recognition that this COVID-19 outbreak actually constitutes a pandemic, I was not calling for martial law. I was not calling for the government stepping in and acting like the ultimate bully and shutting down businesses and so on and so forth. It's a huge leap from one to the other. But it's simply a matter of enabling people to have the best information. Yes, there are a great many people that are very irresponsible, very selfish, self-centered, self-serving. And yes, that involves a huge number of so-called public servants. (laughs) It does. And try to find a president that doesn't meet that description. But... There are a great many people like that, and so you could say, well, they can't be trusted to do what's right. The government needs to decide for them. 
Oh, yes, the government is so righteous, so just, right? Let's take the UK government for a moment. I've mentioned this more than once. But the outstandingly just British government, which is going to release, if they haven't already, they're going to release these two hellish, monstrous Islamist slaughterers who capriciously, arbitrarily targeted this one outstanding young Christian soldier who had just returned from serving in Afghanistan. And they attacked him with their vehicle. They drove into him, hopped out, and hacked away at him with a meat cleaver and a machete. This outside of a military facility. This in the middle of the street in front of hundreds of people there in downtown London. His wife had just given birth. He was a fine young man, not of their color. They were from away, but they were naturalized citizens, I believe. Anyway, they were sentenced after they were tried and this drug on. They were finally sentenced to five years in prison. That's how just the government regime of Britain is. As far as how righteous it is, well, according to (laughs) the press, this last function of the royal family at which former prince, (laughs) he's, uh, he's no longer officially prince, I understand, but Former Prince Harry and his wife, they attended. And Prime Minister Boris Johnson was accompanied by his live-in girlfriend, his latest of many, many, many girlfriends. And she's pregnant and he is actually engaged to her, which is So outstanding. You know, he's really maturing, this man. Meanwhile, he has fathered many, many, many bastards, according to the British press. Harsh term, right? (laughs) Fathered many children out of wedlock. They don't know who all they are. And, And he's had this woman living with him, you know, 10 Downing Street. Uh, But they're engaged now. So really outstandingly righteous, moral, and what have you. And the charm of Boris Johnson is that when he's asked about anything with regard to matters that an honest answer may make him look like a bit of an elitist, like uh, a bit detached and above it all and so forth, he just drolly, you know, jokes about it. And the press love him for it. But, oh, they're so righteous. 
Speaking of righteous, how about his living large brother across the pond, Donald Trump Sr.? By all means, these people should get to decide, shouldn't they? It's so fair. Let's put the brunt of this on the restaurant, hospitality industry, tourism, travel. Not to mention private education. I would include public education, but public education, you know, is publicly funded, so forth. So I'll say private education. Now, many private educational institutions, auspicious institutions like the Ivy League schools, have enormous funds at their disposal. They are heavily endowed. Yes, but not so for you know, Christian schools and that sort of thing. Charter schools that are not supported by the government and what have you. By all means, crush these. What about the churches? This matter of deciding social distancing must be enforced. And again, you enforce it by martial law. You enforce it by National Guard. By Army Reserves, Air Force Reserves, and so forth. Employ more people in the government. You know, double triple, quadruple the number of U.S. Marshals. That sort of thing, right? It's already been announced that the military is being brought in to assist. In France, the military is being brought in to bring people to hospitals. But they can be used for other things, can't they? So you make this determination. Now, of course, the scientists, they're so scientific, they're so authoritative that when they say you need to limit it to groups of 10 or more, of course, that is totally rooted in science that is unshakable, unassailable. That's the magic number. What if it's not? What if it's arbitrary? What if it's capricious? Or what if it is the absolutely accurate number according to these fallible, errant people? If you're working in a warehouse for Amazon, hey, that's a different matter. If you are in the military, different matter. If you're working at the White House or the Capitol, that's different. That's totally different. So what if there are a thousand of you? But if you're in a church, 10 people. It's insane, people. For a year, a year and a half. Oh, because it's war. It's war. Oh. You know, that's like going back to 9-11, really. 
no, and you're going to say, no, this is diametrically opposite, but bear with me for a minute. How many times did we hear the same mantra over and over and over, a continual dripping that everything changed on 9-11? No, it didn't. It was completely unforeseeable. It had been predicted decades before. Decades before. (laughs) Everything changed. No, it did not. Islamist terrorist cells were in the United States of America operating and enjoying tax-free charitable status as churches, as charities, courtesy of the depraved United States government regime. But Everything changed. Well, now, now it's a war. This is a war. It's being mouthed here and there and the other place. A war against this. I've got news for you. This is not the bubonic plague. This is not the black death. You'd think it was. It's not Ebola. No. But (laughs) the president has decided that he has to be strong, decisive. He has to show who's boss here. He has to show leadership here. He cannot soft pedal it. He cannot understate it. He has to go full bore. So he's gone all in. (laughs) Outstanding. But this is so unequitable. This is so unfair. Unrighteous. Unjust. Oh, but it's so intellectual. Meanwhile, this federal government plan which was delivered last week to policymakers that a pandemic will last 18 months or longer. Not even the scientific papers 12 to 18 months, but 18 months, starting at the end point, the longest point, 18 months, one and one half years or longer, and may include multiple waves, resulting in widespread shortages. That 100-page plan from the Trump administration was dated last Friday, the day that he declared the state of national emergency. And it is based entirely, totally, on this one scientific paper from the Imperial College COVID-19 response team of Neil Ferguson and his playmates. Simply outstanding. So one minute, figuratively speaking, 
this president is playing hardy, celebrating, living it up, living large, down in Mar-a-Lago, his resort in Florida. (laughs) Days later, he's rolling out this report, but privately, and now it has become public. Now, dear Deborah Burks, who again is his capitan in charge of this, this work, this great work, she and Trump, of course, they make these wonderful appearances where they've got everybody there, Fauci and everybody, you know, all the the group think, group scene. It's always group think. But now she stated that she and thus they are concerned that the virus is spreading among the younger population, younger generation. They're concerned about that, about news of that from Europe. But then they backtrack, they show the error of what they're talking about. Namely, oh, well, these young people, they're getting seriously ill, getting very ill. And that wasn't supposed to happen. Wait a minute. This is young people, young adults. This is not young children. World of difference there, people. Young adults. A significant number of young adults are seriously ill in Italy. Whom she then refers to as young people, and that morphs into children. The millennial generation, between the ages of 25 and 39, they could unknowingly be COVID-19 carriers and could transmit that to older Americans. And then finally, at the very, very, very end, we have, quote, there has been no significant mortality in children, end quote. Meanwhile, what about dear Russia, Putin's Russia? Well, this report out from the European Union. This European Union document stated that the Russian campaign of pushing fake news online in English, Spanish, Italian, German, and French uses contradictory, confusing, malicious reports to make it harder for the European Union to communicate its response to the pandemic. Quote, a significant disinformation campaign by Russian state media and pro-Kremlin outlets regarding COVID-19 is ongoing. End quote. Quote, the overarching aim of Kremlin disinformation is to aggravate the public health crisis in Western countries in line with the Kremlin's broader strategy of attempting to subvert European societies, end quote. And that's directly in keeping with that computer attack of the Department of Health and Human Services. Do you remember that? I mentioned it a day or two ago. But this matter of the Kremlin, You know, that's kind of anonymous, the Kremlin. The Kremlin is the former KGB, the FSB. And guess who's in charge? Guess who is enthroned in the Kremlin? 
Vladimir Putin. Dictator for life. Is it just possible that dear Vlad is interested in uh, causing trouble in the European Union, in the UK, in the United States of America? Is that possible? (laughs) Oh, no, no, certainly not. No, far be it from that. The furthest thing would never try to cause such problems. No. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Thank you.